The following is a continuation of the previous episode. Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from scripture will inspire and encourage you. In this special episode, we are joined by West Point graduate and Army veteran, Seth Kinnean. Seth shares with us his experience with the military and how it relates to the book of Ezekiel and the theme of exile and return. During his time in the service, Seth encounters several examples of rules, authority, and unreasonable expectations. He's asked to trust the process, and although he may not see or understand, these expectations are building him and his fellow soldiers towards a deeper sense of unity and purpose. So we got an uh, interview with Seth Kaneen this morning. Come up, Seth. So Seth um, was in the military. And uh, Seth went to West Point. Okay. Now, Seth, did uh, West Point make any unreasonable requests of you? <laughs> yeah, it was four years of unreasonable requests. <laughs> can, you, can you give us some examples? Um, well, some of it didn't really seem to have a point at the time. Uh, maybe it would be like... In the morning, you have to line your windows three inches from the bottom, and that's all the further you can open them. And, of course, you want to open them all the way up because you don't have A.C., mm-hmm. and it's you know it's going to be 95, and, okay. and you want your room to... Only three inches. Only three inches, and they had to be perfectly aligned. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it was things like that all the time. You know, if you made your bed, the fold had to be 11 inches from the top, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then the, the sheet fold would have to be, you know, the width of one clipboard. So maybe like, I don't know, eight or nine inches or something. Did you actually have a ruler? Uh, well, you'd have a clipboard, and so you would actually measure the fold with your clipboard. So okay. you'd go the long way from the top to the first fold, mm-hmm. and then you'd turn it sideways and fold, you know. And you're an 18-year-old kid, and you're, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the last thing you care about is, <laughs> is you know, whether or not your, your sheet is 11 inches from the top. Okay. Um, so a, a lot of that stuff was, was pretty, uh, it seemed really petty at the time. Mm-hmm. And so, so while you, while you're hearing all this, did anyone ever come in and say, um, Seth, I just want you to understand how much we care for you? <laughs> no. no, 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 no. Okay. In fact, uh, they, uh, yeah, they, the upperclassmen would come in with that clipboard, you know, and if you didn't have it right, uh, I mean, it uh, break your clipboard or make you do push-ups or you know, just waste your time basically to uh-huh. to uh, to try and make the point. Okay, now who made you do this? No one. It was completely voluntary. I mean, you, I, you volunteered to do yeah, this. Yeah, I mean, I you know I wanted to be there, and so I. So kinda, some, somebody was walking around and said, "Hey, we need somebody to come to the Air Force, uh, the uh, West Point," and you said, "Well, I'll do it." <laughs> yeah, something like that. Mm-hmm. No, you actually applied for yeah, it, right? You, yeah, you wanted you, to do this. Huh? Yeah, you actually went through quite a process just to mm-hmm. get there. So you, on your own volition, you did this. At yes. least in Ezekiel's case, God asked him to do <laughs> <Right>. it. <laughs> okay. Well, then you uh, became an Army Ranger. Okay. You were you a lieutenant when you went through Ranger? I was actually a captain. I was a little bit older than okay. uh, most people. Um, so you were actually wise enough to know better. <laughs> okay. I was. I was an old man in my squad. I was 27, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, the next oldest guy was about 22, fresh out of college and okay and then you had some younger enlisted guys now too. again was this something that was imposed on you 
No, this was also voluntary. Okay, so you, on your own, you actually said, I want to be an Army Ranger. Did they ask you to do anything unreasonable in Army Ranger training? Yeah, that was probably the most unreasonable experience of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a little over two months, and uh, I lost about 40 pounds. Um, and they really get you to such a point of, of uh, sleep deprivation and, uh, and not starvation. You feel like you're starving, but they, they know what they're doing. And, uh, and you're, you know, you, you, uh, you walk a lot, uh, with a lot of weight. I would, everywhere I went, I carried a, a rucksack that was about 65 pounds and you're literally so tired that when you stop moving, you fall asleep. The only way that you can stay awake is to keep moving. <laughs> and, uh, and when you get to that point, you have, you also start to have a lot of hallucinations. Uh, so it wasn't uncommon to see guys, you know, standing in front of a tree, thinking that they're at a payphone calling their wives uh, when they're just out in the middle of the woods and have no idea what's going on. So that's why they pair everybody up. So they hope that at the moment somebody has some levity and sense and can go and grab that guy and bring him back in and get mm-hmm. him back with his squad so you don't lose someone out in the woods. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> now tell, but, tell, I remember the story about <laughs> when you were following the dots. In the, in the woods. And yeah. That, this was mountain training, as this I recall. Is, uh, yeah. This, and actually, what happens is a lot of these stories, if you go to ranger school, everybody wants to swap stories. You might be in a different class, but there's always great stories to tell. And this was actually a story from, from a close friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in mountains, you're in northern Georgia, and it's on the Tennessee Valley Divide in the Appalachians, very extreme, very extreme terrain. And so at night what they would do is they would uh, put everybody in a line, and you would walk all night. And kind of the schedule was uh, when you got out to do your patrols, and everybody's being graded, so they'd rotate uh, different positions of leadership around. And that was always your incentive when you weren't in a position of leadership to help the guy that was because you knew at some point you were going to be evaluated. And if, uh, if you didn't help him, then he was going to go to sleep on you. So everybody was trying really hard to stay awake and work together and kind of work as a team. And, uh, and so you, you, would, uh, you would start early in the morning and do your mission planning. And that would take, you know, uh, I don't know, maybe five hours. And everybody's in, a, you know, everybody's in a perimeter out in the middle of the woods somewhere. And there's all kinds of stuff that needs to be done in order to prepare for one of these missions. So everybody has their own little task. And at the same time, you have to pull security and make sure that, uh, you, you know, you know what's going on around you. And you might be sending out some reconnaissance patrols at the same time. And so you do that for the first part of the day. And then you would walk uh, from, you know, maybe noon until about dusk. And they would, you would go into either, uh, we did a couple different kinds of missions. You would specialize in, like, raids and ambushes. And so you, then you would go into this... Uh, whatever your your mission was for the night you would do the mission then they'd have some after action reviews you're not sleeping no No. Mm -hmm. and and then you once you finished all that then you would start walking and you'd walk into your next patrol base for the next morning and so you might cover you might cover 10 to 15 miles overnight and the hope was always that you would do well enough on your mission that you could get started walking early enough that you would get into the patrol base before the sun came up because then that meant that you could sleep a little bit and so then you might get, you know, 45 minutes of sleep. And, uh, and the worst feeling ever was when you were walking into the patrol base and the sun was coming up because you knew you weren't going to sleep that night. And so that's kind of the context for, for what happened to my friend. They were, uh, they were walking through the mountains, and it's, and it's really rough terrain. Uh, you, might be, you, know, you might be on the edge of a cliff, and, and it's, you know, it might be a couple hundred feet down. And so everyone's in file and just kind of walking. And... 
and you're so tired that they make you tie everything to your body. And so you'd tie your, you'd tie your rifle, you'd, they call them dummy cords, and your rifle would be tied to your belt, and you know your hat was tied to something, and uh, everything, your flashlight would be tied off, because you, you'd literally, you know, you were just kind of trudging through the woods, and, and if something fell off, you know, you might lose it. And if you lost your night vision goggles or something like that, that stuff's really expensive, so they just made you tie everything off. And the patrol caps that we wear have uh, these little uh, these little glowing, uh, it's like two little glowing rectangles on the back, and they're just reflective. And uh, they call them cat eyes. And so, you know, if you're 10 or 15 feet behind someone, you can see those cat eyes at night. And, uh, and this guy, you know, they're in file, and he's, he's walking, and his patrol cap fell off. Well, it was tied to his belt. And so he just was dragging it. And he didn't know it had fallen off. I mean, he was just trying to stay, you know, behind the guy in front of him. Well, my friend sees that this patrol cap gets down. And you just do whatever the guy in front of you is doing. So he thinks, oh, man, we're crawling. And so he gets down and he starts crawling. And the guy behind him gets down and starts crawling. And pretty soon there's about 15 or 20 guys that are just crawling. And he's watching these cat eyes in front of him. And he's thinking, I can't. This guy's going so fast, I can't keep up. He's crawling faster and faster and faster, and the cat eyes just keep disappearing into the woods. Pretty soon, he can't see the cat eyes anymore, and he knows that they call it a break in contact. And if you have a break in contact, it's really bad, because then they stop everything. It takes more time, and you've got to round people up and look for lost people. And so he gets up, and he drops his rucksack, and he starts running. And he finally catches, he, he grabs the hat, and realizes it's just the hat and the guy's, you know, walking in front of it, patrol cap. And, and he said, uh, he went up and smacked him in the back of the head. And, and he said, you jerk, you know, we've all been crawling behind you. And, uh, and so you see stuff like that. I think uh, probably the one other story is uh, that, that I, I like. Uh, it's just funny, I guess. Uh, one of those things that just seems out of place at the time. We, uh, we had a mission that was similar to that. We had a really bad night. Everybody fell asleep in our, in our, uh, in our, we did an ambush and they put you online on the road. And of course you're just waiting for someone to walk through and, and then you initiate the ambush. Well, they call it the opposition force, the guys that were supposed to ambush and they will walk through the line and nobody does anything because we're all asleep. <laughs> and so the ranger instructors grab them and take them back up the road again and walk down there again. So they walk down again, nothing happened. We were all asleep. And so finally, they put them on line on us and said, all right, here's where the ambush line is. Just roll everybody up. And so they started running down the line shooting us. Well, you wake up and you hear shooting, and you don't see anything because they're coming down the line killing all of us. But we all started shooting because, you know, we're like, well, somebody's shooting, so we better start shooting. <laughs> and uh, so they were furious and made us, they, they rounded us all up. And, and uh, you know, and the worst thing they can do is say, you know, Wally, you're a casualty now. You can't do anything. Well, that means that I have to carry Wally, and somebody has to carry his 65-pound rucksack, and I have my own 65-pound rucksack. I don't want to carry yours. And so they'll do that to two or three guys, and, you know, you'll have a platoon of 20, and all of a sudden it just completely, it, it ruins everybody's night. And, uh, and so it was kind of one of those things where we were carrying everybody all night, making horrible time, sun's coming up, and the sun's up by the time we get into the patrol base, and we're just exhausted. And uh, we're in the swamps at this point in Florida, uh, and so the first thing you do, you know, is you scratch out a little foxhole. And so I'm scratching out my foxhole, my part where my ranger buddy's pulling security, and he scratches his out, and we kind of get in place, and we're just trying to stay awake. And all of a sudden, we start to hear this high-pitched screaming. And uh, like, what is going on? And uh, 
like somebody somebody better somebody better shut him up because we don't want the ranger instructor back in here again we do not want to see him again for a few hours because they would usually go off you know a couple hundred yards away and then spot check and you'd go through all your planning well this it's just this muffled high-pitched totally incoherent screaming and we're like oh this is gonna be bad and uh we're sitting there, you know, and, and, and you kind of, you're in a, you're in a circle. So people kind of whisper to the right, you know, what is going on? What is going on? Is... And someone, you know, whispers back, it's Pelletier. I'm like, well, what's he doing? Well, about, you know, 30 seconds later, I look over my shoulder and Pelletier is naked running through the patrol bay screaming. <laughs> and he said, absolutely no clothes on. And, uh, and so we're like, wow, that, okay. Uh, <laughs> man, we're going to get it bad. And, uh, Thankfully, for us, not for him, but he had collapsed in an ant pile when we, uh, when we laid down in, in location and was going into shock. And so they literally had to bring an ambulance in and take him out. But the last thing we saw of Pelletier for that patrol was him running out of the patrol base naked, headed for the woods. I don't even know where he was going. He didn't know where he was going. He was just naked and running just through the woods. away from the ants. Yeah. And, uh, so you, it's just, you know, in hindsight, uh, it's, it's really a... a it's a good experience, and, and I think... Uh, Sounds great. Uh, but, you know, no, you, why, you have things why? like that, and so you laugh. So why did you and, volunteer and for all this misery? Well, why did you go to the West Point? Um, because... Uh, you know you're going to be shot at, right? <laughs> you know, uh, it's funny. I, I didn't, as a, you know, as a kid in high school, I didn't really have, I don't think, a real great perspective on why I wanted to go to West Point. Mm-hmm. Um, I just and it, and it's funny because I had to do a lot to get there and I really wanted it mm-hmm. and I worked hard for it. And so uh, you could do the clipboard. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then you get there and it's kind of like, all right. Well, now what? You know, I didn't mm-hmm. know what I wanted to major in. Mm-hmm. I didn't even know what I wanted to branch as far as mm-hmm. you know what kind of officer I wanted to be and and everything. And so uh it was really kind of upon reflection and hindsight to look back and say, you know, that was really good for me. Um, for a lot of different reasons as a young guy. I think, you know, I was probably spared a lot by being put in an environment where I didn't have any free time and where I was under complete discipline. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really good for me. I learned a lot that way. And, and Did uh, you appreciate it at the time? I, you know, I always, I always understood uh, how fortunate I was to be there. And mm-hmm. so I never took that for granted. I was very grateful for it. Uh, but uh, when I graduated, uh, you know, I can remember riding away from West Point in the car with Carla and uh you know we pulled over so I could take some pictures of West Point in the rearview mirror of the car you know I was like mm-hmm. I'm never coming back to this place again <laughs> and uh and then it's funny you start to get nostalgic within a year or two you know? <laughs> how about ranger training why did you do that and and what was well and what was the think, purpose of it all well did they ever did they ever you know get real sympathetic with you in the ranger no, training? no in fact you know I did my best just to be the gray man there you know you don't want to be you don't want to be noticed uh, and so you just you just try and stay under the radar. Uh, when you when you do you know when you're being evaluated, you do your best. And um, but uh, yeah, you try and keep a really low profile. Uh, you don't want to be one of the guys that that all the RIs know. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's never a good Running thing. So yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, it's partly uh, it was partly a test uh, because from the Army's perspective, you want to be a leader. You want to be responsible for people. Mm-hmm. It's partly a test to see if you're ready to lead. And what's the main thing that you got to do if you want to be a leader? Main the main criteria. You said one, you got to be willing to serve the other guys. Yeah, I think that was probably the biggest that lesson the biggest from Ranger thing. School is, mm-hmm. is to learn how to to serve others when uh, when you're 
when you're extremely tired and very hungry and you know your 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 shoulders everything hurts your shoulders hurt your feet are bruised i don't know if you've ever tried to walk when you have really bad blisters or bruises but that's it's really painful feels like it all hurts the time. yeah and uh and still to be asked to you know hey uh while he's being evaluated i need you to do your best mm-hmm. and you've got to help him because he needs to get a go if he doesn't get a go he's gonna have to start all over on this phase and do it again mm-hmm. and when you're in the middle of that the idea of having to recycle is yeah not good that's his um, problem. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then, you know, you're, you're getting evaluated next. So mm-hmm. you better help Wally because yeah. you're going to need him. Mm-hmm. And so I think that, that kind of putting people through that, that sort of an environment where they really have to depend on each other and it's all you have. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you, you know, you'll have guys that will maybe somehow Wally got shorted on food. And, I mean, there's nothing more priceless than, you know, that one <laughs> meal a day that you get. And uh, Wally didn't get one, so everyone's got a okay. One, one well, meal can, a day. That's it. That's it. And so you know, all right, Wally, I'll give you. You know, I'll give you. I'll give you this part of my meal, and mm-hmm. and this guy's going to give you this, so everybody can at least eat. Um, and so I, I think you know, you learn how to work together, but you also you also get a better perspective on what you're actually capable of doing. Hmm. Uh, to learn that you know, when you think you're too tired to do something, or you're too hungry to do something, uh, that really you're. The human body is capable of doing amazing things, and uh, and there's there's enough there. You can get through. You can you can continue, mm-hmm. and so it kind of gives you it gives you perspective for later in life when you can remember back to that one time when you didn't actually have anybody shooting at you, and you were really really tired and really hungry, and you didn't want to keep going, but you found out that you actually were able to do it, mm-hmm. and so I think they put you through the worst possible scenario. Uh, in peacetime so that when you do actually face uh, those trials down the road for real, mm-hmm. that you'll be, you'll be more capable of keeping a proper perspective and hopefully dealing with the situation. Okay. So. Fantastic. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. Give us a hand. Okay. So you get the point. I hope God makes unreasonable demands. The more, um, the higher up you are on his food chain in terms of growing up, probably the more unreasonable the demands are going to be. And why? Why does he make unreasonable demands? He wants you, he wants you to grow up. He wants you to be a leader. He, he, he wants you to be great in his kingdom. And remember, in Revelation, if you go through the letter to the seven churches... And he's got all these rewards you can eat from the tree of life. And if you're an overcomer, a victor, someone who overcomes as Jesus overcame. How did Jesus overcome? What did he overcome? Temptation, just like we did. Temptation to live on his own instead of relying on God. You think God would put you to a point where you just can't do it anymore, so you have to learn to rely on him? Yeah, because that helps you grow up. That's, that's part of becoming great in his kingdom. God is a God that makes unreasonable demands. Why? He has your best interest at heart. He has my best interest at heart. The children of Israel looked at what God did to Ezekiel and looked at what God had done to Israel, and their conclusion was, you're not fair. And God's statement back to him was, actually, you're the one that's not fair. I understand completely what's just. And I always do what's just. And I think this is kind of the bottom line. 
You really think God has your best interest at heart? You really believe that? If we really believe that, then we'll have the same reaction that the Army Rangers have. I don't like it. I wouldn't choose it. But this is my best interest, whatever your circumstances are. You know, Jeremiah was told, don't take a wife. Don't participate in the feasts. Um, he was, there was a murder plot put up for him. He was put down in a well to die. He, he didn't enjoy his circumstances at all. At one point he said, you know, my, it was a sad day the day I was born. But he did it. He found out he could do it. Let's just end talking about Hosea. Turn to Hosea real quick. Hosea is during this uh, same time period. Chapter 1, verse 2. Go take a wife of harlotry and children of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry. I want you to go marry a prostitute. And I want you to marry a prostitute to show a drama, an illustration of what Israel's been like to me as their husband. Maybe you remember our lesson on Ezekiel 16 when God goes through this really gut-wrenching description of what it's like to be a husband that has grown up this girl from being a cast-off child to being a beautiful queen and have her just go pilfer it with every guy walking by. And even more unreasonable, after he has three children with her and she goes back and starts being a prostitute again. In chapter 3, the Lord said to me, Go again, love a woman who's loved by a lover and is committing adultery just like the love of the Lord of the children of Israel. This could be somebody else, but I think it's likely he's buying his wife back because that's what God did. It's the same basic pictures in Ezekiel 16. There's nothing reasonable about what God's asking Hosea to do here. But again, God always has our best interest at heart, and he's growing us up. And if we can embrace the tough things that God asks us to do, I mean, it's not easy to raise a, a, a kid. That's a hard thing to do. It's not, it's not easy to live with a spouse. That's actually a very difficult thing to do. It's not easy to live with other people. That's a, that's a tough thing. I mean, they're, they're all unreasonable, aren't they? Uh, everybody but us. It's just, there's a lot of difficult things about this life. But God is growing us up so that we can be everything that he intended us to be and be completely fulfilled. The question is, will we embrace that opportunity or not? What's the failure rate in Ranger School? Uh, we finished with um, about one in five. Uh, with my class one in five finished or one in five dropped out? One in five finished. One in five finished. Some of those people... Were, were recycled and maybe okay. later. So about an 80% drop rate? Yeah. That doesn't surprise me to hear that. I'm pretty sure I would have been one of those 80% <laughs> drop rates. Okay. So narrow is the way that leads to life. Not many choose it. That's not a heaven-hell passage. That's given to disciples. And it's just reality that most people don't embrace difficulty. Uh, now, I, the Bible doesn't ask us to seek out difficulty. What it asks us to do is embrace it when it comes. And those trials are tremendous opportunities for us to grow up. 
So God makes unreasonable requests, but he's got a, a reason for it. And it's for our best interest. God, thank you for being a great trainer, an Army Ranger trainer. I pray that all of us will embrace that training and that we'll make it through the Ranger School of Life and be the kind of leaders that you want us to be, that we may get that great uh, reward that you've promised at the end of the Revelation series to share your throne with you because we've learned to serve. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowbloons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowbloons.net. Thanks for listening.